Greetings. This is Bible Time with Jane, and I am Jane, your host. We are continuing our series in the book of Acts, and today we will take a look at chapter 2, verses 29 through 41. But in order to maintain the context of the uh, sermon that Peter is preaching on that day, uh, long ago, uh, I will begin reading with verse 22 of chapter 2 through verse 36. And the word of God reads this way. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves also know, him being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God, you have taken by lawless hands, have crucified and put to death, whom God raised up, having loosed the pains of death because it was not possible that he should be held by it. For David says concerning him, I foresaw the Lord always before my face, for he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart rejoiced and my tongue was glad. Moreover, my flesh also will rest in hope. For you will not leave my soul in Hades, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. You have made known to me the ways of life. You will make me full of joy in your presence. Men and brethren, let me speak freely to you of the patriarch David, who is both dead and buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. Therefore, being a prophet, and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that of the fruit of his body, according to the flesh, he would raise up to, to the Christ to sit on his throne. He, foreseeing this, spoke concerning the resurrection of the Christ, that his soul was not left in Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus, God has raised up, of which we are all witnesses. Therefore, being exalted to the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of, of the Holy Spirit, he poured out this which you now see and hear. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he says himself, quote, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. End quote. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. What we have before us is basically the testimony of David, uh, Holy Spirit inspired Peter to quote from three different Psalm passages that were written by David, from Psalm 16, eight through 11, Psalm 68, verse 18, and Psalm 110, verse one. And in verse 29, Peter says uh, that the patriarch David, that, that he is both dead and buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. That tomb is something that was very familiar to the listeners on that day. They would have walked by it often as they were going in and out of Jerusalem. And if they were to look inside that tomb, they would find that a body was there, David's body. 
But there was another tomb that was near there, a tomb that was briefly inhabited with the body of Jesus. But Jesus rose from the dead. And so if they were to look in Jesus' tomb, they would find it empty. And it is empty to this day. Peter is making the point that they could not escape the reality of the life of Jesus, the death of Jesus, and the resurrection of Jesus. It had only been 50 days since his crucifixion. The events were still fresh in their mind because it had been surrounded by great controversy. In verse 30 of, our, of Acts chapter 2, it says this, Therefore being a prophet, and knowing that God has sworn with an oath to him that of the fruit of his body, according to the flesh, he would raise up the Christ to sit on his throne. That is a, a direct reference to the promises that God made to David. Right here, Peter is saying that David is a prophet, and it is true that David was a prophet. He spoke, many of his psalms are very prophetic in nature. And the message of a prophet is a message that should be listened to and taken very seriously. In those days, before the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, that is how God chose to speak to the people, is through the prophets. The prophets were the, as it were, the, the mouthpiece of God. And so you did not turn away from the message of the prophet. It had been that way since the days of Samuel, the prophet, the same Samuel who anointed David to be the next king of Israel. And God had made a promise to David long ago. In 2 Samuel chapter 7, verses 12 and 16, says this, this is, this is God speaking to David in, in a time when David was in prayer. And God made this covenant promise with David. He said, when your days are fulfilled and you rest with your fathers, I will set up your seed after you who will come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. And your house and your kingdom shall be established forever before you. Your throne shall be established forever. And in Psalm 132, verse 11, it says this, The Lord has sworn in truth to David. He will not turn from it. Quote, I will set upon your throne the fruit of your body. That is why Jesus is called the King of the Jews. That is why Jesus is known to be the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And when he returns, when he returns to earth again at the end of the seven years of tribulation, he will enter Jerusalem as the conquering king and will sit on the throne of David and rule for a thousand years over the nations of the earth. But in our passage, it says uh, that God has sworn with an oath to him that of the fruit of his body, according to the flesh, he would raise up the Christ to sit on his throne. He, foreseeing this, spoke concerning the resurrection of the Christ, that his soul was not left in Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God has raised up, of which we are all witnesses. Now, there's a lot of conversation here in the, in the confirmation of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. 
But it, in order to more fully understand the resurrection, we also must consider the crucifixion, which was a, a point in, in all of world history that uh, we look to. In the Old Testament, they looked forward to the promise of the crucifixion, which was the, the payment for sin and the resurrection, the confirmation. And, and all of the New Testament looks back to that. It's that cross. That cross is the defining moment in all of time and history. But let's consider more, more pragmatically about the crucifixion, about what was happening to Jesus on that day. Warren Wearsby has an interesting observation. He writes, when we remember that Jesus had been awake all night, scourged, and abused by the soldiers, we can conclude that he was exhausted. And Jesus started out bearing his cross, but he needed help carrying it all the way to the point, to the, to the point of execution. And scripture tells us in, in Mark uh, that the soldiers for a while helped him, but then they conscripted another man from the crowd to carry it, to carry it for him because Jesus was spent. He was bleeding out. He was exhausted. He was, uh, uh, every physical, emotional, spiritual thing was happening to him in that moment, and it was taking its toll. Wearsby continues, Jesus was not executed in a quiet building away from the city's noise and activity. He was executed on public highway on a day when perhaps hundreds of people were traveling, even potentially could have been thousands because it was a high holy day. It was Passover when everybody was coming, flocking into Jerusalem to make their sacrifices and, and to... Um, have fellowship these people from all over the empire coming into Jerusalem and there was Jesus naked as the day he was born nailed to the cross after being beaten and his flesh torn to shreds again Wearsby continues though he he was crucified through weakness he exercised wonderful power when he died Three miracles took place simultaneously. The veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. An earthquake opened many graves. Some saints arose from the dead. The rending of the veil symbolized the wonderful truth that the way was now open to God. The earthquake reminds us of what happened on Mount Sinai when God gave the law to Moses. The earthquake at Calvary signified that the demands of the law had been met and the curse of the law forever abolished. The torn veil indicates that he conquered the law and fulfilled it, and the resurrections proved that he defeated death. The result of all this was the testimony of the centurion and those watching who said, truly, this was the Son of God. So Peter is quoting David's prophecies uh, found in these three Psalms that I mentioned earlier. 
And these Psalms speak in Old Testament scriptures, but they speak very clearly about the resurrection of the Christ, the Messiah, who is Jesus. I find it very interesting. So just like I had mentioned earlier, that many Psalms are prophetic. So let me just give you a little bit of an example. Psalm 22 graphically, graphically describes Jesus' crucifixion, but also his post-crucifixion life. In fact, it was from Psalm 2, 22 that Jesus quoted when he was hanging on the cross, when he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's verse one of, chapter, of Psalm 22. In Psalm 2, again, a Psalm of David, uh, this is prophetic about Jesus' millennial reign over the nations of the earth. That is, it's so fascinating that I want to read just a portion of it to you. Beginning with verse 1, this psalm says, Why do the nations rage and the people plot a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us break their bonds in pieces and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens shall laugh. The Lord shall hold them in derision. Then he shall speak to them in his wrath and distress them in his deep displeasure, saying, quote, Yet I have set my king on my holy hill of Zion. I will declare the decree. The Lord has said to me, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me. And I will give you the nations for your inheritance and the ends of the earth for your possession. And you shall break them with a rod of iron. You shall dash them to pieces like a potter's vessel. And that speaks of Jesus' millennial reign over the nations of the earth. In Psalm 118, this psalm prophetically describes Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem just a few days before his crucifixion. We, this day is better known as Palm Sunday today. But in Psalm 118, verses 24 through 27, David writes prophetically, This is the day the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad at it. Save now, O Lord, I pray. O Lord, I pray, send now prosperity. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We have blessed you from the house of the Lord. God is the Lord, and he has given us light. Bind the sacrifice with cords to the horns of the altar. That basically describes those last few days of Jesus' life. Save now, in New Testament, it's translated Hosanna. Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. So in that last verse that I just read, uh, bind the sacrifice with cords to the horns of the altar. Remember, Psalms are, um, are also poetry. So what is a sacrifice? It is our Lord Jesus Christ. He is the last and the perfect sacrifice for sinners. Hebrews chapter 10 uh, helps us to understand this a little bit more clearly. And so I want to read this portion to you, beginning with verse 4, chapter 10. For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats could take away sins. Therefore, when he came into the world, he said, Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you have prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin you had no pleasure. And then I said, Behold, I have come 
in the volume of the book it is written of me, to do your will, O God, previously saying, sacrifice and offering, burnt offerings and offerings for sin you did not desire nor had pleasure in them, which are offered according to the law. Then he said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God. He takes away the first, that he may establish the second. By that will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And every priest stands ministering daily and offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God. In Acts chapter 2, verses 32 through 33, Peter says this, This Jesus God has raised up, of which we are all witnesses. Therefore, being exalted to the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he poured this out, which you now see and hear. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he says himself, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand, sit at my right hand, till I make your enemies your footstool. Therefore let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucify, both Lord and Christ. And in this is the point of Peter's entire sermon. This Jesus, the one they had rejected, the one they had crucified, the one they had hated, God raised Jesus from the dead. And the 120 that were in the upper room that day who had received the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, they were all eyewitnesses to his resurrection. They had no reason to lie. The empty tomb was the proof and the tongues of, that, the, that they were speaking, that was also proof that Jesus had ascended to heaven, had sent the Holy Spirit, just as he promised he would do, and had now sat down on the, with, on the throne of God. The Apostle Paul, or the Apostle John, excuse me, made reference to his eyewitness experience in his first letter to the church. In 1 John, verses 1 through 3, John wrote this, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and our hands have handled concerning the word of life, the life was manifested and we have seen and bear witness and declare to you that eternal life, which was with the Father and was manifested to us. That which we have seen and heard, we declare to you that you also may have fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship was with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. Jesus is now exalted, sitting at the right hand of God. It has been said that the greatest archangels that are mentioned in Scripture stand before God, but none are allowed to sit 
for sitting next to God would indicate equality. And Jesus' sitting also indicates the completion of his task, the successful accomplishment of his mission. And he's sitting, waiting until his enemies are made his footstool. It's a picture of Christ being completely victorious over all of his enemies. Peter quotes from Psalm 110, verse 1. The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. This is the most often quoted verse in all of the New Testament. It's quoted 13 times. Therefore, it's pretty important. And it's the primary text that is used in Scripture to explain the exaltation of Christ. And Jesus himself applied it to himself. In Mark chapter 12, verses 35 through 37, this is Jesus speaking before his crucifixion. Then Jesus answered and said while he taught in the temple, How is it that the scribes say that the Christ is the son of David? For David himself said by the Holy Spirit, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. Therefore David himself calls him Lord. How is he then his son? And the common people heard him gladly, but of course... His critics did not like what he had to say. But let's just break this down a little bit. What is David actually saying here? It can be a little bit confusing. So let me just parse it down. It says, the Lord said to my Lord, so the Lord God said to David's Lord, who is Messiah, sit at my right hand, sit at God's right hand, till I, God, make the Messiah's enemies the Messiah's footstools. The Messiah, the promised Holy One, the Christ, the anointed one. Christ is the Greek word for Messiah, which is the Hebrew word. All of that is reference to Jesus. God said to David's Messiah, God said to Jesus, sit at my right hand till I, God, make your, make Jesus' enemies, his footstool. Again, from Psalm 2, if you remember, just I read it briefly before, yet when God says, Yet I have set my king on my holy hill of Zion. Zion is another word for Jerusalem. And I will declare the decree. The Lord has said to me, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me, and I will give you the nations for your inheritance and the ends of the earth. So verse 36, Peter's conclusion. What does he say? Therefore let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. Warren Wiersbe observes, Peter's conclusion was both a declaration and an accusation. Jesus is your Messiah but you crucified him. Peter did not present the cross as the place where the sinless substitute died for the world, but where Israel killed her own Messiah. They committed the greatest crime in history. Was there any hope? Yes. Peter continues, with his sermon, the scripture says, Now when they heard this, 
They were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said to them, Repent, and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Is there any hope? Yes. Oh, there are so many wonderful promises in the Word of God. But one of my favorites is 1 John 1, 9 which says if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Because it says in scripture, 2 Peter verse three, verse nine, or chapter three, verse nine, that God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. That is God's desire. That is why he sent Jesus. He does not want us to die in our sin, He wants to deliver us from sin and from death and from hell. He wants to give us his grace and his mercy and his forgiveness and his everlasting love. He wants to give to us the promise of everlasting life where we might see him face to face and and dwell in his his midst. He wants to give us the Holy Spirit, the, the empowerment and the joy and the every spiritual blessing that is in Christ Jesus, he wants to pour out into our lives. That's his heart's desire. And the only thing that hinders him from doing that is our own resistance. Romans 6.23 says this, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. But you may say to me, Oh, Jane, you simply don't know. You don't understand what terrible things I have done all these years. But let me say to you today, my friend, God's love is greater. The power of the cross is greater. And I don't care if your sin is stealing or lying, murder, drugs, pornography, abusive behavior, adultery, gossip, whatever it is, I can say with assurance that God's love is greater and his mercy and his grace is available to you. Cry out to Jesus. Ask him to forgive you. He promised. His word declares it. It says, it's the promise of God. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all our unrighteousness. This promise is for you. Claim it. Ask for it. Cry out for it. In our passage today, God inspired Peter to preach the gospel of salvation to the very ones who had crucified and murdered his son. If that message was offered to them, how much more is it offered to you today? Well, let's take a look at how they responded to Peter's message. Again, reading from verse 38, Then Peter said to them, Repent, and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, 
and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is to you and to your children, and to all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call. And with many other words he testified and exhorted them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. Then those who gladly received his word were baptized. And that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. 3,000 people who heard the message and believed it and cried out to Jesus, Lord, forgive me. And they were forgiven and they were saved. Remember, the cross was no accident. Jesus was not a victim. The cross belonged to the eternal plan of God. As someone once said, when man would do his worst, God gives his best. Billy Graham once made this observation, sin's masterpiece of shame and hate became God's masterpiece of mercy and forgiveness. Through the death of Jesus upon the cross, sin itself was crucified for those who believed in him. The cross shows the seriousness of our sin, but it also shows us the immeasurable love of God. Dr. Ironside adds this, what is your response to it? God has exalted the man who died on the cross to his own right hand to be prince and savior and has made him Lord and Messiah. Have you trusted him and received him? As the word of God says, but as many as received him, to them he gave power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. Heavenly Father, what immeasurable love you have shown to us that though we were sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And it's hard for us to comprehend that love and yet your word is true. And the cross and the empty tomb are the proof of your love and your mercy and your grace. Heavenly Father, I pray that you will take this simple message and these scriptures that have been shared today and that you would open the eyes and the hearts of the hearer today. That my friend might embrace your love and your forgiveness, that my friend might have the courage to cry out, Lord Jesus, save me, forgive me. I want you to be my savior. Lord, send forth your Holy Spirit, fresh and anew into the hearts of everyone who is listening. Fill us with your joy your comfort, your peace, and your power, O oh God, so that we might be faithful witnesses of this glorious truth of the amazing grace that is in Jesus Christ our Lord, in whose name we pray. Amen.
Well, my friend, uh, you will find as we continue our study in the book of Acts that the message of the resurrection of Jesus Christ will be a continuing message throughout the book. I would challenge you to read through the book of Acts with a renewed eagerness and vision. But until then, until we meet again, my dear friend, may our great God and Savior richly bless you.